for the week of February 14th, 2022. This is the Book of Boba Fett TV Talk from Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Book of Boba Fett Disney Plus episode. Today, we are reviewing the final two chapters of the first season of the Book of Boba Fett, in which the Mandalorian Din Djarin arrives to Luke Skywalker's new Jedi Academy to check in on the child Grogu, but while in the process is convinced by Ahsoka Tano to allow the Padawan to adjust to their new home, leading Mando to return to Tatooine to assist the Daimo. Boba Fett as he finalizes battle preparations against the Pikes who have their own skilled bounty hunter. Dave, what did you think of this episode? Well, these last two episodes have confirmed something for me that I've been thinking since we first saw Mando back in in the fifth chapter. They should rename this to the Mandalorian Chronicles, not the Book of Boba Fett. (laughs) Yeah, and that was something whenever they, uh, you know, the end of Mandalorian Season 2, it, obviously there's more stories with Din Djarin oh, sure. and our Mandalorian, but there was something that when they teased the book of Boba Fett, it just kind of seemed like the Mandalorian was this over, uh, like, kind of this big series or network of series that would, you know... Um, have Boba Fett, maybe Bo-Katan, like mm-hmm. all these type of different uh, characters that could be followed. And just the first two seasons dealt with Din Djarin, that Mandalorian, and his uh, his story with Grogu. So it would have made sense that that would have been the end of that story. And we just kind of see him as kind of like, you know, the, the Nick Fury, if you will, across yeah. the other series, which he served in this book of Boba Fett. But we are getting like a full Mandalorian uh, season three. So it's not what they're going with. It's not like the Mandalorian is this, you know, father or mother network of uh, shows, but it truly is its own thing. And um, yeah, so we might be getting a book of Boba Fett, you know, season two. We might be getting a book of Bo-Katan. Who knows what's going on here? But yeah, this was something that... Uh, especially chapters five and six, these were mm-hmm. just Mandalorian based uh, chapters. Like these were things that Boba Fett took the back seat to, and it was really more so setting up the adventures of Din Djarin and Grogu for, uh, you know, season three. Yeah, absolutely. It was certainly, you can't even really call it a backdoor pilot for season three. It was quite obviously a front door pilot for season three stuff that, they're probably going to have to explain for the people who didn't watch uh, the book of Boba Fett and understand it. So we'll have to see what that, how that turns out too. But as far as the rest of it goes, it, they were still, still great. The, the stories for both the, we already talked about chapter five and chapter six, even though it was still uh, Mandalorian centric, it was still good. I mean, lots of good stuff came out of that. And this final episode from this past week, last week for everybody listening, um, it was just as just as good. Like it was a good combination of everything that we've been introduced to. Right. This is really, you know, what I, from my perspective, when 
it was announced in 2012 that Disney had acquired Lucasfilm. These were the theories that we are talking about. We want to see, you know, the the sequels. We want to see, you know, like a sequel mm-hmm. trilogy. We got it. We want to see what happened to Boba Fett. Now we have it. We want to see this. We want to see that. And so, like, this series, if it does anything, it really helps show us the uh not even the final process but really the beginning of what disney is doing because the you know those sequel uh that sequel trilogy while it was of course you know blockbuster uh type of cinema it seems that this is where disney wants to camp out a while and making these you know these uh series which is wonderful if they could keep throwing money at these things and we can keep getting these really in-depth storylines and it's like obi-wan this is going to be uh, a series it's going to be like six hours worth of content or, or at least you know three hours so it'll be longer than any film we would get with obi-wan so we're spending mm-hmm. more time with him in that and so i mean this is really the stuff that fans were wanting uh there's you could be nitpicky and complain about some things but if you are a star wars fan you are pretty satisfied with what's going on there at disney right now Oh, absolutely. I mean, if it wasn't for this acquisition, Disney buying Lucasfilm, you're absolutely right. We wouldn't be getting any of this content. And if we were, it certainly wouldn't be the quality that's at right now. I mean, I don't think Netflix has the budget to throw at uh, out of a series like this, like Disney does. So it's a good thing to have for Disney to have it. Whether you're a fan of Disney or not, you should still you know, be trying to watch this stuff because this is how you're getting your Star Wars. Yeah, and kind of speaking of that, uh, with the money and what fans have wanted, one of those things is a Luke Skywalker. And of course, we get Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker, uh, but he's very different from where we saw him at Return of the Jedi. And he, mm-hmm. and of course, I'm not complaining about that because I really enjoyed what they did with Luke and kind of the conflict. And I feel like they made him a little more human in that he wasn't this superhero that was free from the same emotions of his father like he very much Mm -hmm. is his father's son and he goes through the emotional turmoil and the tragedy continues to follow him it feels like a shakespearean play when you look at luke's life um and so we get that in the last jedi and of course the rise of skywalker but this uh chapter six of the book of boba fett really highlights the luke that i think people were imagining uh that version of luke after you know uh return of the jedi where he is building this jedi academy where he is this wise teacher who is extremely powerful in the force at least in tune with it and we get that here and we have of course mando wanting to check in on grogu so he tracks down where luke skywalker's academy is Um, And we get a very familiar character at the beginning of this chapter six, where we see R2-D2, which I don't, I don't know how Star Wars does it, but they have been able to cause people to have an emotional attachment to a droid to the Mm -hmm. point when you see his little antenna uh, pop up and you see who it is. It's like, you know, it's tear jerking because you get to see this character that you've, you know, grown up with, if you will. Yeah. And, uh. R2 has been around my literal whole life. Like I'm only a year younger than the entire franchise itself. So R2-D2 has been a thing for my entire life. So fans like me that have li- literally grown up through ch- all the way through childhood into adulthood from the beginning 
are the ones that are really attached to this uh, this character. And uh, yeah, it, it's really it's awesome to see him all the time. Like you're always excited to see R two, whether he's just you know there to keep some construction droids on target and uh, lead lead somebody to somebody else, and uh, like leading Mando to Ahsoka instead of taking him to Luke where Grogu is. And no matter what R two's doing, it's always good to see him, even just flying an X wing. Right, and this is kind of the uh, how smart R2 is. So he takes Mando to Ahsoka, where I guess she has spent some time with Luke, which is emotional within itself, right? Especially if you know this character. Uh, that was the biggest question that people had. Like, does Ahsoka mm-hmm. ever meet Luke? And what is that meeting going to be like? Because there's going to be uh, some emotions there, both happy and sad, and... I think we get a really good look out of the two minutes that these two characters are actually with each other in this episode. But we see, you know, kind of the construction of this academy, um, which we all know how that ends. But as soon as I saw these construction droids putting together, you know, whatever this main sanctuary is, at the academy, I was like, oh, we've seen that before and we mm-hmm. know how it ends. And that was kind of emotional within itself. But we get this really good look at Luke Skywalker. And, of course, we saw him at the end of Mando Season 3. And there was, of course, some CG going on there and Mark Hamill being a body double for himself type of thing. But we get a new and obviously some more finances thrown at this CG of Luke because he looked extremely good. Like, this CG of Luke Skywalker was insane. It was to the point where, if you're a fan, it's emotionally insane because how good uh, this Luke Skywalker looks. Yeah, because we all know what Mark Hamill looks like now. We've we've seen him recently in in a a Jedi movie. If you follow him on Twitter, you know what he looks like. You You can get pictures of him nowadays so you know that the man we saw on screen and the man we know know of today the actor is a lot older and i I agree with you i was looking at that going they did a heck of a job they hired the right people i know they hired somebody on after uh i've read it i read it on the internet i can't remember the guy's name but uh he did a deep fake uh, improving on that first luke and i think he's the guy they hired in order to uh get the results they got and they made the right choice by doing that. Absolutely. It's just phenomenal. You you would have swore it was the young Mark Hamill stepped out of time yeah. if you didn't know any better. Yeah. Uh, this is truly incredible. The, the place we are in, like it makes it worth it that we had to wait from 2005 to 2022 to get a, uh, another Star Wars project like this because – you know, of course, if they would have gone the route, if Lucasfilm would have sold Star Wars immediately after Revenge of the Sith, someone would have tried taking the route of bringing Luke back. And they would have either done old Luke or let's cast a young Luke like they did with Han Solo. Um, and I just I don't know if that's if you can do that. Like, I know Sebastian Stan would make a very convincing mm-hmm. Luke. And that's kind of like the the social media thing. But uh, it just doesn't work as well as you know what they can do with any other character i feel like luke is this one where it's like it has to be mark like you can't have it not be mark there's too there's too much emotion and emotional attachment to it like you almost have to wait for the next era of star wars fans to be the primary consumers before you can even do that and even then it's quite 
uh, it's risky because there's just something about Mark Hamill embodying this character that I don't know if anyone can do because once again, there's too much, there's too much emotional attachment. It's like we have daddy issues with Luke Skywalker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we do. And it's not going to, it's not even going to end on the next generation of uh, consumers. If you think about it, because this weekend is my birthday weekend. Um, this air episodes are airing the week of the 14th on the 13th. That's my, my literal birthday. And what my eight-year-old son wants to do is he wants, for my birthday, to watch A New Hope. So, I'm all for it. It's not going to happen this weekend because we're too busy. But when I think next weekend, the 21st weekend, we're going to watch that together as a family. And that's the next generation of Star Wars right there. And they're going to be seeing the same actors that we've grown up with portray these characters as they go through. So, it's going to be a little dicey. Uh, for some of them, because they'll get the same attachments that us uh, old school fans have, some of them anyway. But still, eventually they will have to make some sort of decision on whether they're going to CG Luke Skywalker for the rest of his life, or are they going to recast him? And either way, you got to make the right choice. And right now, for the time we're sitting in, the, when we're discussing, they've made the right choice, yes. in my opinion. Well, especially like when we first saw him in Mandalorian, there was some... It was awkward i guess that's the best way yeah. to describe it like it felt off like it looked incredible i'm not criticizing anything because at the time in 2020 that was about as best as you can get oh yeah i mean it was top of the line incredible there were no complaints there but it just looked off because there was something about the way the mouth moved there was something that it looked just a little uh different you could tell that there was some cg going on but with this and of course he's He's in it even longer. Like, this costs more money than his mm -hmm. cameo in Mandalorian. So the fact that Disney has thrown that much money at a mid-episode of uh, of a book of Boba Fett series, the fact that they threw that much money at CG work shows that they're willing to do things. And this is also why, you know, they went the practical route for a lot mm -hmm. of other things. And Star Wars has always gone practical effects um, in terms of prosthetics, Um and then puppeteering and animatronics like they're uh it's kind of like the christopher nolan approach like don't right. cg something unless you have to so they've saved some money there um and that kind of leads into the cat bane conversation as to why he was uh prosthetic which i think they also did the right thing on um mm -hmm. but we'll get to that here in a little bit because uh there's just so much to talk about with luke skywalker and how great he looked but where it gets really emotional is we see the committed Jedi master mm -hmm. that we saw at the end of Return of the Jedi. And he is committed to training the new generation of Jedi. And you can tell that, because again, even though this was CG, whoever the body double was for Luke, you know, you, you of course have to, you know, do some um, facial movements and you have to stay true to the character. And just the way the body language was, uh, you could tell that Luke is like somewhat worried. Like he uh, he at least feels the burden of what the Jedi are and what they're supposed to be and traditional what they have been. And we kind of see that with his first Padawan and Grogu, where he's not sure. Like, and yeah. he even talks to Ahsoka. He's like, "What do I do? Like, do I let this child go back and then not train him in the Force?" Like. What does that do? Does that lead to, uh, you know, a 
an attachment to the dark side. He doesn't say it, but you can tell that's what he's dealing with because these are the questions that we've had in Star Wars lore ever since we heard about, you know, the Jedi Academy and the Jedi Council. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he is, of course, talking to Ahsoka and Ahsoka is basically the one who's like, maybe let him choose, which is kind of ultimately her thing that she chooses, right? Like she Mm -hmm. is at this point in, in the Clone Wars where she does the same thing and she's turned out fine. Um, and we see this kind of emotional attachment between Mark and uh, Rosario Dawson in Ahsoka, but we see these two characters have like some sort of emotional attachment because, of course, Anakin mm-hmm. uh, it being the centerpiece and Anakin really much being a big brother to Ahsoka, and now she's here with her, uh, you know, with his son and it's an emotional thing and you there's this one look that the cg version of mark hamill gives to ahsoka that's kind of like yeah like okay i know what to do and this is where he allows him to choose now this kind of goes into what ahsoka's strategy or what her uh view of the jedi is and it's really interesting because it opens the door to all this like you know gray jedi lore like balance Mm -hmm. in the force between uh you know within a force user but she's still somewhat understanding of the emotional uh detachment of the jedi from ones they love like that's why she convinces mando to not be a factor in this decision making um so she's like hey if you go up there just know it's going to be harder for him so you should get back in your ship Get back in your little Naboo starfighter and and you should leave. And you should leave the present with me. I'll make sure he gets it. But uh, you know, let's let's not add any more emotions to him because she senses the bond between Grogu and the Mandalorian. But she's also very much open to the choice. Now, what do you think of kind of where her mindset is in all this? Because that was kind of a long introduction into where Ahsoka is, but basically she understands why the Jedi did it, but at the same time, she's like, it needs to be up to the individual. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I didn't really think, honestly, that deep into that that cameo, but you do raise some good points. And when, when I was listening to you going, yeah, you know, that's a really good take on that. Um, to quickly spitball something... Um, yeah, I think with the, the character of Ahsoka having spanned so much time uh, from being a Padawan with Anakin Skywalker right through the entire Imperial Empire to this point in time and having known father and son both. And again, we, uh, we don't know how well these two actually know each other, but based on the intimacy of that particular conversation, it's not... A new Jedi Master asking a former Jedi Master, what should I do here? It's two different people who took two completely different paths down the down the force that aren't traditional. Because Luke's training and whatnot, as we see it all through the first three movies, is not a traditional path that's been established in the prequel trilogy. Um and any subsequent of subsequent things through the Clone Wars and whatnot. It's not traditional at all. They're, these are two people that made the same, got to the same place by two unique methods. And that would give them a, at least in this moment, a kinship that others would, others of the order wouldn't have. Um, there may be more to it than that because of the, 
Well, Ahsoka herself said it when in, during this episode, this episode here, episode six, with uh, when she's talking to Luke, going, "You are so much like your father," mm-hmm. and uh, that I'm sure framed a lot of her response and whatnot. So. There's more to this that I'd like to see. Maybe we'll get some of it in uh, the upcoming Ahsoka mm-hmm. series. But, uh, yeah, I I just took the cameo part for what it was. It seemed to me just to be a couple of colleagues with different paths trying to, trying to determine the best route to present the choice to this young Padawan learner and letting him make the decision. It was the right call in in storytelling, and if it was real life, it would have been the right call for them to do too. Yeah, and it was the right call because now we know that yeah. Grogu does not perish in that Kylo Ren, uh, you know, assassination mm-hmm. of the Jedi Academy. Because that was the thing that at the end of Mando season two, I was like, no, uh-uh, I'm not happy with that. <laughs> so many people were like cheering that Luke is back and Luke's the one that take that takes Grogu, and I'm like. Mm-mm. But did you no. forget yeah. what happened? Yeah, it's like we know how this story ends. Like, but this can't be it. Like, Grogu has to like graduate early or something, or drop out, and then uh, get back with the Mando because we cannot have Grogu there. And I'm sure there were a lot of other cute kids that uh, Kylo Ren sliced down, but we haven't met them yet, so there's no emotional attachment there. Yeah, and you know, and to be fair, they can't be as cute as little Grogu. So <clears throat> that was kind of there, but yeah, there's so much. <sighs> understanding of these characters that was put into this episode and to be fair luke and ahsoka and the jedi kind of theme of chapter six of book of boba fett is maybe 15 minutes 10 minutes yeah and it already shows how much knowledge that fabro and filoni and company have in where luke is at this point and where the Jedi are in the galaxy and kind of this these growing pains of how do they fit into this version of the galaxy? What is to happen? It shows there's this nice blend between the 1970s lore, the 2000s lore, and then, of course, the 2000, uh, you know, 20s lore that we get in the, the sequel trilogies that it just shows how we got there. Because, again... There are very different takes on the Jedi when you watch The New Hope and then when you watch episode one with Qui-Gon being kind of the poster child of the Jedi and, uh, you know, of, of rebellion of the Jedi at the most. Mm-hmm. Because he's he's really the uh, the foreshadowing of Ahsoka. Ahsoka is very much in uh, of that mentality of Qui-Gon where she's like, I don't know if we should detach from everything. I don't think all emotions are bad. I don't think the Jedi Council is right on everything. Um, and so very similar in that aspect, but just so much Jedi lore going on, it makes me want some more Jedi mm-hmm. in my life because absolutely when they first announced that they were doing Rogue One, I was like, mm, I just want to see Jedi. Like, that's what I care about in Star Wars. And then Rogue One convinced me like, okay, maybe I don't need to see Jedi. That's pretty cool. And then, of course, Mandalorian takes that to a whole other level. And I'm like, oh, I think I'm satisfied with not getting Jedi in this vastness of the galaxy. But then Chapter 6 of Boba Fett brings it back. And I'm like, I have to see what's going on with the Jedi. Like, this is, it, it's too, and this is something to where just personally, I'm really interested in religious history and the way that uh, society responds to spirituality and how they interact with it. And so that's kind of where my fascination is because this is truly like 
people are reading religious books. We know that George Lucas based the mm-hmm. Jedi off of six different religions and uh, and practices. That it just it's so interesting, and you can tell that the writers of this show really did their work. But we should move on from the Jedi because again. This was like a 30-minute conversation just on the, the Jedi mythology. So, Mando returns. He leaves Grogu to his fate with Luke, and he returns to Tatooine where he starts recruiting an army for Boba Fett. And he goes to what is now known as Freetown where Cobb Vanth is the marshal still. And the people want peace, but there's some spice being run here, um, which brings in this stranger from the desert. Now, I knew as soon as Mando and Cobb Vance started talking about the lack of armor uh, mm-hmm. and how Cobb has been a little bit more careful without the armor, I was like, he's going to get shot. Someone's going to shoot him. I don't know who does shoot him, but someone's going to shoot him. And then, of course, they do the classic Western, this person approaching from the desert, and I knew immediately who this person was. Yeah. I think everybody who knows this character knew immediately who this person was. I was sitting just uh, watching the tel- no, watching the episode just uh, in the chair just behind me here, and uh, <laughs> I saw saw everything the haze going out. And I'm going, that's Cad Bane. I, I, I hadn't even seen any more than just a silhouette coming through, doing the whole Clint Eastwood type walk up. And said, that's Cad Bane. It's got to be Cad Bane. I'm the only one down here, and I'm saying this aloud. Like, that's Cad Bane. It, it pretty much echoed as um, uh, Bell and Bo over on TV Talk did their uh, binge watch ep- episode of all season, or all episodes up till six when when this happened. And Bo was sitting there on the episode going, "I was so excited that I was going that's Cad Bane." And he was doing the same thing I was doing here, and uh, like Cad Bane's an excellent character and a perfect choice for what they used him for here. Well, and we, there were obviously theories, like, are we going to get Bosk in Book of Boba Fett? Like, we're going to bring in some sort of bounty hunters. And this was something where I was thinking, I was like, there's some emotional baggage between Mm -hmm. the mentor and mentee. Like, the Boba Fett we get in uh, Empire Strikes Back is very much a product of Cad Bane. If you watch Mm -hmm. the Clone Wars, you see that Cad Bane is the one that teaches Boba Fett that the galaxy is an evil place that you just got to... You know, you just got to cash your checks and move on. Like, don't get attached to anything. Don't uh, get emotional about anything. Just take the job, do the job, move on. Everything's a job to the point where he even views, of course, Boba Fett as being uh, a job. job. Like, you know, hey, I got to cut and run, man. Um, And so that was something that I was thinking the whole time. Like, that's the decision to make. It's not Bosk, even though like a bunch of classic fans want that. Boba Fett, in order to transition into... The man of honor, he has to encounter his past. And part of a, and this was kind of a theme of this entire series. And so mm-hmm. this is where I was thinking, like, he's got to encounter Cat Bane at some point. That is the only way that he can truly move on and become uh, this character we're seeing. Because it feels unnatural that Boba Fett is this honorable leader of Mos Espa. Like, it just seemed, it seemed off. It's like, how did he get to this point? And it's like we've seen that he does have some ruthless characteristics still. Like we've seen it on uh, on his face when he's fighting people that try to take him out. Like we know that he's willing to do this. And so in order for him to fully transition to this man of honor, he needs to encounter this character, Cad Bane. And, of course, 
This is Filoni's baby. We've seen two, possibly the two biggest characters of Filoni's career, Ahsoka, and then now Cad Bane in live action. Which, again, if you were in 2011 and you were sitting here and you heard that uh, Disney had uh, is in the process of acquiring Lucasfilm, it's like, let's get live action Ahsoka and let's get live action Cad Bane. Um, this is something that everyone that has watched the Clone Wars has wanted because Cad Bane is very much this very felony uh, accumulation of felony and uh, George Lucas, where it's like, yeah, we have samurai themes, but George Lucas was also inspired by westerns. So let's bring in a like full on western character. Let's bring in this ruthless, fastest hands in the west type of guy. Um, and we get it. And it they I think they made the right call with going the practical makeup approach. What about you? Yeah. I do agree that the practical approach is probably the best for Cad Bane because as especially because of those face tubes that he's got. I don't think you could pull those off properly in CG. I mean, he would look very much more like the cartoon version from the Clone Wars. But I I feel like you probably couldn't get the right movement on some of the stuff that you can practically, like those hoses that or his breathing apparatus or whatever that actually is. Um, I don't think that would move right CG because there's so many variables. Like if you don't know anything about mathematics, like all the math that goes into doing that CG is phenomenal. You got calculus, you got algebra, you got spatial awareness. You almost have to be a rocket science to do it. Um, and there's just so many variables that you have to get just right, which was the problem we were seeing with, uh, with early Luke from the end of season uh, two of the Mando. But those things I think would have cropped up again if they went CG with uh, Cad Bane, just because of all the minutia that you can get with practical effects. Those hoses, when they're moving in this, are moving that way because they're there, yep. not because you know they're trying to match the hoses to the movement that the actor in the in the body suit with all the little marks on him did the motion capture did it's it's the right call for this character because of how practical cad bane is as a character he is even in in the computer animation because everything moves under those the physics of that world and computer animation he's very physical his quick draw everything is down to a certain point and going live action and trying to can translate that quick draw from CG into a live action world isn't going to work the same way as it's all computer generated. So having an actor wearing the costume, getting the prosthetic makeup, sure, he didn't look like, like most people would have expected, but it was still the right call and it made the character sell itself a lot more. Yeah, And this is kind of Favreau's approach when he... Uh, first developed the live-action Darksaber. He was basically thinking, I'm not going to create a live-action version of the Darksaber. I want... Because he, he his viewpoint was everything in the Clone Wars is based on something that is real life. So he's mm -hmm. like, all the characters you have, of course, Anakin based off of what Hayden Christensen looked like. So he was thinking, like, from step zero. He's like, what is the physical thing that they base the dark saber off of and then they built that not mm -hmm. so basically they kind of looked at it and said all right if you were 
making this animation based on something real, what would that real thing look like? And that's what they made. And I think that's also the same with Cad Bane. And then part two of that is that if you're Dave Filoni and one of your most famous characters of all time is this character Cad Bane, do you really want to see them see some actor in a bodysuit with all dots around him? Or do you want to see the fully in the flesh character that you created for animation. And so I think that's the other thing. I think Filoni was like, I just want to see this in real life. Like we have it. I want to see it in real life. I want to put the voice actor in the place. I want this to go down. I want you to see everything right. You're absolutely right with the tubes. They probably would have looked too rubbery with CG. And then of course, with the movements, it would have looked a little blurry. It would have looked weird. Um, And now with it just being fully prosthetic, you get everything that Cad Bane is. You get the threat, you get the mystery, you get all of it. Um, And, you know, it's, it's an actor that's in makeup and it looks incredibly good. And, you know, and uh, just people on social media, they have the best intentions of like, I Mm -hmm. just like even the person that quote fixed it never said that they fixed it, but Twitter like exploded and it was like, Oh, he, he fixed it. And it's like, well, no, he was just making it closer to the animation version, which he was absolutely right in saying that I'm sure that there were so many different, um, you, you know, concept arts and makeup approvals that they went through to get to this character. I'm not trying to downplay any of that. And I think they went the right choice. Um, you still know it's Cad Bane. You don't need to oh, question yeah. that. And so I don't know why so many people are mad about it. But we get this killer and Cad Bane approaching the people of Freetown. And this is when I realized like, oh, and I said to myself, when he encounters Cobb Vanth, I'm like, oh, he doesn't have his armor. Cobb doesn't have his armor. This is who shoots him. This is what they're setting up for. Okay, this is this is it. This is where we see. And I didn't know if they were going to like kill him off, but I was just like, he's going to get shot by Cad Bane. And we've seen... A couple episodes with Cobb Vanth being a very fast hand himself Mm -hmm. and having that, you know, fast draw. We saw it at the beginning of this episode where he basically tells the guy, you know, think about it. And then he takes out, you know, three pikes before they can even draw their weapons. So we see that Cobb is very uh, fast within himself, but not fast enough for the fastest draw in the West, Cad Bane, this entire sequence where he shoots the sheriff and the deputy and you know kind of moves on and just disappears back into the desert this is if this was all that cad bane had in this series i think within itself it was worth it yeah absolutely if i agree if this cameo here from this particular part of the episode 6 would have been all of cad bane we got and maybe saving him for things down the road it would have been the perfect amount but the way they took it, bringing him in back in and having Boba confront him to solidify his transition to the honorable man of honor, I guess, uh, that he that he has been trying to become this whole season, that works too. That's a, that's a good air quotes end to Cad Bane because, quite frankly, I'm not sure we're done with him yet. 
Well, yeah, and if you spend that much money on, because prosthetics cost money within mm-hmm. itself too. It's definitely they're saving money from CG, but it still costs money. Your Dave Filoni, you you basically can do whatever you want with Star Wars mm-hmm. at this point, and people are going to be fine with it. So yeah, we're definitely going to see this character again. I would like. There's no way that they did all this work and they're allowing Filoni to do all this stuff if we don't see him again. And you know, it's very you know Inception like where you see the top spinning at the end, and you have to question you know, what we're getting next in terms of you hear the mechanical heartbeat with Cad Bane and it does not go out. And I think that's very intentional. Everything that a director does, at least a good director, is intentional. So there's no way that that was done by accident and that they were like, oh, wait, we should have not left the door open for that because now we definitely want him dead. So, yeah, I think we're getting more of him. Uh, That entire sequence between him and Boba Fett where we can tell that Boba Fett has some baggage and it's only Finnick that kind of brings him in to wait for that that last mm-hmm. stand for the end. Very like classic like Western 1950s Western film where it's like you want to take out the bad guy right now. You want to take out the man of black, but you can't quite yet because, you know, something's going on and he's got the he's got the hit on you because he's got all these uh, rifles on the rooftop. So. You know, all that very reminiscent of, you know, John Wayne era mm-hmm. Westerns with, that was just, you know, chef's kiss on it all because oh, that's, yeah, of course, really what, what really Filoni good. wants. Um, but I also like that Cad Bane thinks that he beats Boba Fett because he underestimates the weapon of the Tuscans. Like, this is, again, a great theme from classic Westerns where the bad guy's underestimating the resourcefulness and the weaponry of the natives. And then that is, in turn, their downfall. Yeah. Because I, I didn't notice it during the during the sequence during, during the fight sequence that, that Boba had had the uh, gaffy stick on his back until Cad had walked over and he was doing his his last speech there, and then I'm sitting going when they they when they went over Boba's face again I'm sitting going hey he still got the gaffy stick I I had no more thought I wonder than he did that move mm-hmm. and pulled that sucker out and uh, took the legs out of uh, out from under Cad Cad Bane and then just the final sequence and he stabs him with it. Yep. I mean, that was so well played. Like I almost didn't see it coming until it happened. Like I, I was just a fraction of the second ahead of where they were in the, in the, in, in the present presentation. So that was very well pulled off. Well, and I think this is, you know, reminiscent. And of course the theme of these Westerns where they like, they underestimate that res- uh, the resourcefulness mm-hmm. and the skill of, you know, these natives, which are represented in the Tuscans. And of course, Cad is a representative of the Pikes, who were the actual ones that uh, killed mm-hmm. um, this camp of Tuscans that saved Boba Fett and that, you know, started his transition to this man of honor, uh, which, you know, kind of shows us that these Tuscans might actually be out for the count. Like, there was a lot of theories, like, we didn't see enough bodies, we didn't see the body of the kid, we didn't see this and that, so maybe they're going to come back in this final, uh, you know, fight between the Pikes and Boba Fett's group, but they don't. So at least for now, it's to assume that they are, like, actually gone, unless they do a season two of Boba Fett, and then that somehow plays into the story. But we can assume that uh, most of them, at least, have indeed perished, yeah. and Cad Bane is that representative. When Boba takes him out, we kind of see that this is the full transition. Boba Fett has encountered his past, and he is starting to really solidify himself of this uh, honorable and merciful diamo, which he is wanting to be. 
And, you know, Finnick has always kind of questioned that. Like, why are you taking this approach? You're not really ready for it. She hasn't, like, said it, but she's kind of, mm -hmm. like, past hints. Like, they're not used to this approach. And quite frankly, you're not used to the approach. What's going on? And now that he's encountered everything, I think this is where this comes into comes into be where he is like fully this character that we've seen since episode one. Yeah. And the, the walk him and, uh, and Fennec were taking during the, that final talk they were having right at the tail end of the episode, um, where he's smiling, you know, he's talking to her and he has to stop in the bow and there's all, all the citizens are showing the respect and whatnot that they weren't giving him at the beginning. Um, it just punctuates. He says, he looks at her and goes, why are they all bowing to me? He's still not a hundred percent used to what he's become is he's just made the transition. And she goes, you're, you're the leader of the town now, man. They, they're just showing you respect. This is what you wanted basically. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, we have kind of, we've skipped over a lot of this fight cause there's not a whole lot to talk about in this final fight other than we see the mods and Boba Fett and of course mm -hmm. Mandalorian fighting the, these pikes and we see Boba Fett bring in the Rancor to take yeah, out these, awesome. you know, the, these droids. And so that's really cool. We see him ride the Rancor. We knew that that payoff was oh, coming, yeah. um, ever since we met Danny Trejo's character, um, so it's like we we knew this was coming along. We knew that we were going to see it, uh, and we do get it. And of course, we get this massive like rancor doing King Kong stuff after Boba Fett gets you know launched from his back. Um, but the best thing from this rancor fight. So number one, great effects that they went with here. Uh, it looked great. Um, I liked that this was probably very intentional. Like let's you know let's throw some things that like the king mm -hmm. kong theme this is very much where we're going at here and then uh it's grogu that saves the day ultimately mm -hmm. here and really what luke was saying the whole time like luke was he when we first see luke and grogu and grogu's on the little backpack that is a throwback to him and yoda and he says look out there there's balance and he starts giving him this whole spiel on life and balance and this is ultimately, I think, what Grogu empowers to put this rancor to sleep. And then he goes, he pets it, he cuddles up with it like it's his puppy, and he takes a nap with it. Yeah, that was that was great. And it, it wasn't like when we first saw Grogu, when he was just known as Baby Yoda trying to use the Force. It's not like he'd use the Force and then just pass out. This was Grogu intentionally using the Force, getting more of his mastery over it, using it to calm a beast like million times his size. Like, uh, this was a true David Goliath battle using the force only. And he, you know, like you said, befriends it, goes and takes a nap with his new friend. And it's, it's a cool little scene. Like there's nothing much more to say about it other than that. Well, and it's very different than when we first see Grogu use the force when he uses mm -hmm. it against the Mudhorn, because when he uses it against the Mudhorn, it's far more malicious. Of course, the Mudhorn dies as a result of him using the force that allows this you know final drop of the mando but we see that grogu is kind of doing it from that perspective and he doesn't uh, at least isn't interpreting the mudhorn as being as valuable as he now sees life yeah. like we see this transition where grogu's like i'm not doing this to hurt you um but he he and he doesn't like pick up the rancor and like float it around and like smash it to the ground 
but he just puts it to sleep because he has completed at least somewhat of his training where he mm-hmm. sees that life is of value, which is kind of the whole message of the Jedi, right? Like yeah. message number one of the Jedi, all life is valuable. All life is worth it. All life is equal um, and kind of, you know, find balance in life, find balance in death, but ultimately don't kill something unless you absolutely have to. Um, and we see Grogu do that here and then enough where it's like, okay, like he's still exhausted from using the force, but you're right. Not as quickly as he was before when, before he'd use it and pass out. But now he n- understands why he's using it and he understands mm-hmm. the full power of it. And then is, you know, uh, recognizes it enough is like, okay, I'm just going to cuddle up next to this beast. I just wanted to calm it down and need to be calm for itself and need to be calm for the town. And now uh, let's take a nap together. So very cute things going on here and, you know, deep uh, mm-hmm. aspects going back to that, that lore of the force. But the last few things, Finnick is pretty ruthless. Her assassination of the final pikes and everyone that turned against Boba Fett that were supposed to be remaining neutral. She just takes them all out. And this, uh, it's not too nice. She's not too nice about it. No, no. I, I think that if Fennec and Boba had met back in the day when Boba was what Fennec is in this scene, they would have made great partners for bounty hunting. I mean, because the style was there, like she—you didn't see her till the end of that scene, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, it was very well executed, very practically executed. I mean, I wouldn't have wanted any of the effects, like when they're lifting people up by the things. I wouldn't want any of those ropes or anything to, that they use to do that stuff to slip, man. Because I'm sure there would have been some bad tumbles in uh, in some of that. So that's a very very practical scene because I know those harnesses that they used to do those kind of lifts and those stuntmen, they, they had to be stuntmen in those costumes because who else could do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great. It shows what she's capable of. Cause we don't get a whole lot of her in this episode. We kind of see her, you know, jumping from buildings and saving people, you know, last minute, but then this is kind of her, uh, probably the most resourcefulness uh, resourcefulness we've seen from her since the bad batch. Like we mm-hmm. don't really see a lot of that in uh, Mandalorian and we don't see a lot of it here in book of Boba Fett apart from this episode. Um, so pretty ruthless assassination. This season ends with Boba Fett encountering his past represented in Cad Bane. He, he has sensed the growing pains of being the leader through all the stuff he's been faced in the, uh, six chapters prior to this, and he has been down to the point where he has asked for help. Um, and this is where Boba Fett fully transitions from this ruthless, cold-blooded killer, as Cad Bane describes him, into this mm-hmm. man of honor that is now the Daimo of Mos Espa and beyond because all the other territories all those leaders were also taken out so it's safe to say that he probably has all of tatooine under his um under his eyes now that he's leading as this uh as this leader so we'll see what the future has in store for him but dave what was your biggest takeaway from this series 
don't count out what you don't see because there's a lot that we've seen in this in this series and it's been great it's been a fun ride learning about some of the backstory for the tuscans seeing how boba escaped everything we were looking for even some things we weren't looking for like the uh all the mando stuff and the setting up for mandalorian season three and and that's where where i'm going a little bit because what we have now set up here and is and this is just me theorizing but I think we have Grogu set up to be the next Tar Vizsla in mm-hmm. season three because he left left Luke before he got lightsaber training. Mando's got the dark saber. Grogu's a Jedi, but he's also a Mandalorian mm-hmm. by right of being a foundling. So for Man- just, uh, some quick Mando season three speculation, that's what I see going on there. And that's what I'm taking away from this. Because I enjoyed everything else, and, and it's been fun to theorize about things as in Boba Fett as they've been coming out. But looking forward, this is what what we need to think. This is what we're going to be concentrating on next when we start seeing some Mando again. Absolutely, and that's that's so true because Bo-Katan is her entire mission is to get the dark saber because she understands the prophecy that one day. A Mandalorian with the Darksaber will reunite Mandalore and will rebuild it. And you're absolutely right. He is a foundling. He is a Mandalorian in all aspects at this point. He has chosen the Mandalorian mm-hmm. route, and he's also a Force user. So we'll see if uh, if they make exceptions to the rule that the Darksaber has to be won in combat or if they accept the... The way that Mando wants it. Mando doesn't want the Darksaber. He wants to he wanted to surrender it to Bo Katan, but now he understands the prophecy here. So I think you're right. In season three, he might recognize that he that it's Grogu, that it's not him, that it's mm-hmm. Grogu who is the one that's gonna reunite and rebuild Mandalore. And this might be his fully like transition from the uh the way to the new way, mm-hmm. if you will, in the Mandalorian Creed. Um, before our listeners, we will return in March to continue more Star Wars TV talk. And until then, you can keep up with the show on Twitter at Star Wars TV talk and by emailing us at hello at Star Wars TV talk.com. You can find the rest of our shows online at Star Wars TV talk.com and by searching for Star Wars TV talk wherever you get your podcasts. And please do not forget to subscribe and leave us a five star review. You can find more TV talk podcasts at TV talk.fm. Thanks so much for listening and may the force be with you. Always.